Hello again, world history people. I'm here today to talk about chapter 23 if you use the Voyages textbook. If you don't, the topic centers exclusively around the Industrial Revolution. So during the modern era, things progress fairly quickly from technology referring to the hourglass and the compass and a new type of sail and a new type of boat to technology that you and I would recognize even in 2020. There's no specific timeline for the Industrial Revolution. It starts in the early 1800s with several key inventions and then moves forward fairly quickly. The Industrial Revolution is most significant, not because there was fighting, because the word revolution typically in history means fighting, but because it changed the way people lived their lives. Everything about people's lives changed in the Industrial Revolution. Um, If you watch John Green's crash course video on the Industrial Revolution, he basically spends the first like three minutes of his video talking exactly about that topic. So what did it change from? And the answer is farming and what's known as cottage industry. So farming because that helped sustain the household and cottage industry would be things like making clothes or making shoes or making butter or certain kinds of foods that other people couldn't and then selling them at market. And that all starts to change. It changes first in England. Um, In England, it changes because of something known as the enclosure movement. The idea that public land wasn't public anymore. People started putting up fences and saying, okay, this is definitely mine. I'm not sharing it. And that's bad if you're the kind of farmer who relies on things like cattle or sheep or lambs. You need land for them to graze on and eat from. And if people are fencing all of the land off and you don't have a lot for yourself, then you can't keep up the farming that you've been doing. People who find themselves in this situation where farming is no longer something they can sustain themselves with have to move to cities. And the timing on this simply works because cities are starting to use more and more water and steam powered items. Things like the water wheel and the steam engine are being invented and used during this time frame. And those things lead to other inventions, things that can be made from those machines as they do their work. So again, most of this is happening in Britain at the very beginning, partly because after the defeat of the Spanish Armada, Britain is the most powerful country in the world. They own most of the 13 colonies, especially after the French and Indian War in 1754. They're directly benefiting from everything in the colonies. And even after that breakup, they're still trading with them, which means they're still making money. So Britain has a ton of money, the right amount of land to do the work, and lots of labor, lots of people who have been displaced by the enclosure movement or other factors who need a job. And the other thing they do is they make it so that these workers can't leave. So these new inventions that are being used in British factories, people aren't allowed to leave and take that technology they know about with them. Now, that isn't to say that some people don't leave because a lot of the 
first Americans to go from nothing to a ton of money. People like Andrew Carnegie and J.P. Morgan. Those are people who managed to leave their home country and come to the United States with what they knew about how factories worked and then start their own factories. So Britain couldn't keep everybody from leaving, but they kept a large part out. You know, for every J.P. Morgan and Andrew Carnegie, there's a hundred other people who didn't manage to get out or who did, but didn't beat anybody else to setting up the factories that become competitive. Now, working in factories is good because it earns money for the family, but it's not nice work. Uh, A lot of times children work too because there's no childcare options. Uh, So if both of your parents work and you're a kid and there's no public school because that's not a thing yet, you're probably going to go to work with your parents and most likely you're going to end up working in the in the plant just like your parents. Working in a factory isn't an eight hour a day job with weekends and evenings off. In the beginning, factory work can be six or seven days a week, usually six, Monday through Saturday, and then people get Sunday off. Um, And it's usually 12 to 14 hour days. So if you start work at 6 a.m., you'd end at 6 p.m. So imagine working six days a week, Monday through Saturday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day with pretty much no breaks and for not a ton of money. You wouldn't have a lot of time to yourself. The other problem is is that factory, early factory work is very dangerous. Um, these machines, like there aren't necessarily all the safety precautions you would see now in place. And so these people could easily get hurt. They could lose fingers or a hand or a leg because a machine, they get caught in the machine or something happens. And those people don't get workman's comp, they get kicked to the curb and then they hire somebody else who can do the job. Managers actually prefer to hire women and children for the most part because they tend to work for way less money. And if you complained about how bad the the conditions were, you got fired. So you didn't complain because you needed the job. This early system worked with two key ideas that you and I would just assume is correct, uh, which is the assembly line that each person along the assembly line does their own task and interchangeable parts, parts that can easily be replaced, right? So if, for example, you crack the screen on your phone, you can get another one. If you break the case on your phone, you can get another one. I mean, all of these things are very easy to get for you. It's not like you're like, oh no, I broke the case on my phone. I now have to make a new one for myself. That's not how we work in 2020. Um, So interchangeable parts in the assembly line really change things. In addition to that, we also have some uh, huge growth for capitalism because there's all of these factories and all of these businesses starting up and capitalism says, you know, let the factories run. Don't make rules about them. Don't overly tax them. Don't tell them how to run their business. And so a lot of these early businesses really flourish under capitalism. There's some other government ideas running around at this time as well in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Socialism, the idea that if everybody had the same amount of resources, the same food, land, clothes, that everyone would be equal. 
And the government should control all of that. Then you have communism. Uh, Communism is an interesting one. As a political theory, it's fascinating. As a practical theory that gets put in place and used, it never worked. Um, And in fact, has never technically existed. Any country who's claimed to be communist in the past is misrepresenting themselves. The ideas behind communism were that eventually capitalism would fail and lead to socialism, and then socialism would fail and communism would happen, and then there wouldn't be a government anymore and nobody would be in charge. It would just be the regular people in charge. And then, of course, there's the social theory that I like to call the sunshine and puppies theory known as a utopia where everything's perfectly in balance between business and government and then there's no poverty or crime the technology that you see developed during the industrial revolution like I said is something that you can recognize as things that we would use today things like the assembly line a steam engine Uh, a light bulb, a car engine, and even an airplane. Early industrial revolution saw machines fueled by water, coal, and steam. Electricity is around because it's always around. Um, Physically, it's always present. The problem for the most part was that it wasn't really usable. Um, You could generate electricity But then what are you going to use it for? Like, you and I would think, well, yeah, I mean, we're going to power our house with it, right? And we're going to power our computer with it. And I'm I'm sitting in a room that's got a light bulb that works because of electricity. But the thing is, is that electricity is only really useful if you figure out how to harness it. And one of the first ways that it's done is with the invention of the light bulb. Up until the invention of the first usable light bulb by Thomas Edison, because Nikola Tesla was also trying to figure out how to make a usable light bulb. But Edison was backed by uh, General Electric, which was giving him a ton of money to get it done faster. So Edison invents the first usable light bulb that doesn't explode after it's been on for like a minute, um, and that it sustains light. Then then electricity is becoming useful. Well, we can, we can light up factories, we can light up homes, we can light up cities. And suddenly electricity is a useful endeavor. There's also a huge change in travel accommodations during this time. People can travel by trains and steamships. You know, you can't, it takes you half the amount of time it used to. You know, if you wanted to travel from Let's say you wanted to travel from New York to San Francisco. If you're trying to travel from New York to San Francisco in 1705, you're going to have to buy a wagon and make sure you have some oxen and have enough food and supplies to make it to the next food and supply station. And it's going to take you months, if not years, to get there because it's dangerous. You might not make it at all. And even if you take a boat, it's still going to take six to eight months to get from New York to San Francisco. But with the use of steam engines in trains and in the United States, the advent of the Transcontinental Railroad in the 1850s, you can travel from New York to San Francisco in three to five days, as opposed to three to five months or 
a year. It's a lot shorter. And so these things really change the way people live, along with communication. The earliest new forms of communication, like the telegraph and Morse code, are set up in 1837. The telephone's invented in 1876. Um, And radio waves are first used in 1895. So all of these things are key components to changing the ways that people live. And all of that is due to the factory system that comes in place during the Industrial Revolution. People start living longer lives because of things like x-rays and better medical technology, better farming, which gives them better diets. You see public education being used to train a good workforce, a workforce that can do basic math and read is going to do a way better job than one that can't. You get really famous artistic movements that happen during this time, like Impressionism and Post-Impressionism. That can't happen because... You can't do those kinds of paintings without large quantities of paint. And you can't get large quantities of paint without factories to make them. Because before factories made paints, people had to make their own paints. And that was expensive and took a really long time. So the Industrial Revolution really does change everything about the way people live. And it also makes our next topic, which is European imperialism in Africa, possible. And it would not have been possible without the Industrial Revolution.